I'm Sam Graham Felson. I'm Avi Klein. And you're listening to Hey Man, the advice podcast for men. I'm a novelist, Avi is a therapist, and we are here to answer your questions and hopefully get a few of our own questions answered as well. Our guest this week is Jessica Weisberg. She's the author of Asking for a Friend, which is a really great history of the advice column dating back to some old British dudes going all the way up to Ann Landers, Dear Abby, and uh, Quora. And uh, it's it's just a really great, interesting look into the whole industry of uh, advice givers. So we thought it would be fun to have her on and have kind of a larger meta conversation about what this show is all about and um, get her perspective. Jessica's had a long, interesting career as a journalist from her time at The New Yorker to Vice to the hit podcast Serial. You can learn more about her bio on our show notes. Uh, we hope you enjoy this conversation. So your book uh, is called Asking for a Friend. I, I love that title. And um, uh, I mean, there are a bunch of things I want to ask, but like, first, I mean, it's funny because um, I read your book shortly after it came out, which is also right around the time that Avi and I were discussing whether to start this podcast. It was Avi's idea, and he, he asked me um, if I would do it with him. And um, my immediate instinct was, yes, that sounds fun. I've always wanted to do a podcast. Then I backed up in my head, and I was like, uh, an advice podcast? I'm like, it's one thing for you to do it, Avi, because you're actually a therapist who, like, you know, went to school and was trained for many years to like help people. But like, I'm like a deeply flawed kind of like fuck up of a person in many ways. I mean, I'm also not a fuck up, but you know, I think of myself as, as not being, as being, I think high, I'm a deeply flawed person. You too. are, I but, don't I, think, I, I, but, but anyway, so this is, this is getting yeah. to, so my deep insecurity about starting the podcast and in the early, um, you know, we did a bunch of practice episodes was like the, um, pot, calling the kettle black problem if i can call it that like of just like if i'm a flawed person does that like what right do i have ever to like you know offer tips to somebody else but part of what i you know enjoyed about about your book was like just seeing this evolution from you know these men that like posed as these of course all of them were flawed all along even ben franklin was flawed um deeply flawed but posed as these like sort of moral experts or whatever um, and then the advice column, like evolving towards like um, a more women-dominated field, where the women were just, you know, not posing as like moral experts, but really just saying, "Hey, you can talk to me like you're talking to a friend, and I'll I'll just offer you the best tips I would offer a friend." Yeah. So, um, so anyway, it it, it it's um, I just I I I found that comforting, <laughs> um, but maybe you could just talk about that evolution of like how how the advice column has kind of shifted from I'm the authority who knows best to, you know, I'm just one of your peers and, you know, I don't know everything, but there's something compelling about hearing from somebody who doesn't know everything. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, now I'm like, I, I'm glad that I lured you into podcasting. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that's the basic. Yeah. I think early on in, in advice, you just see people, just really cowering behind this this feeling of being an expert. And to the point where like like the first chapter in the book is about a group of guys in Britain 
who were basically unemployed and did not have much great things going on in their lives. And they pretended they were like this 20-some-odd intellectual society and had people write into this made-up intellectual society and wrote responses in like the most verbose, like full-of-themselves way. And, um, and just like, but privately, they were all just like, their lives were messes. And like, and... Um, but did like that, like needing to feel like this expert in the world. And then as you go through time, you see advice givers not only flaunting their flaws, but using their flaws as like a reason why they should be the ones giving advice. Like if I was able to turn my own life around, then I can help you too. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Like it is a lot easier to give someone else advice than it is to follow your own <laughs> advice. Like, <laughs> you know, and so I, like, and I, so I think then I think people realize that. So I think people really realize that like the more people were willing to wear their flaws and can discuss how they kind of got to, from point A to point B and show all the mess that, that happened, like makes people trust them more. And I think that sort of speaks to a lot to, yeah, just like where we are, like that, you know, the, how much our culture has changed, where we just like like to see people's warts and all now in a way that we didn't really allow that to happen not so long ago. Although, you know, there there were whiffs of that early on, even with Ben Franklin, right? Oh, like yeah. he didn't, um, you know, he didn't call his book like, you know, Ben Franklin, the genius, uh, gives advice. He called it Poor Richard's Almanac. So even he was kind of like creating this persona of, of probably a person who was even like in some respects more flawed than the, the real Ben Franklin was, right? Yeah. Well, I think what Ben Franklin figured out that was really smart was like, like Poor Richard's Almanac is a big joke. It's like money advice from a guy who calls himself Poor Richard. Right. Like, you know, like... But I think what he really picked up on is like earnestness is really uncomfortable and it's like easier to, to talk about serious things as it's, as if it's a joke. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like what I was saying about like presenting a pitch to a room of men. Like right. I often like found ways of joking about things that I cared about really deeply in my heart because earnestness and vulnerability like are hard. Yeah. And like, I think that like you see like a lot of, like the um, like, dear Abby and Ann Landers were really like cutting and funny, and I think some people read that as them sort of talking down to their readers. But I sort of read it as them just sort of giving people like a way of talking about these things that like felt a little safer. Like relieve the tension. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's really like it's hard to sit with like deep discomfort about your life. And actually, one thing I've really enjoyed about your advice, uh, your podcast so far, is just like. Sometimes you'll get a question, you both sort of laugh. And I'm like, yeah, like that's what you want to do when you hear someone like talk about like some really uncomfortable feelings. And that's I nice really to hear, <laughs> although our, our ambition is to have really uncomfortable conversations. Yeah, but the fact and that you can laugh and yeah, then have yeah. the conversation is like really real. Like I my so this past weekend, um, my parents' dog of 16 years died and we scattered the dog's ashes. And like my dad went about it in kind of a weird way. And at one point my sister just like burst into laughter. First of all, like scattering ashes is like a really awkward thing yeah, to do. Oh and like it was going in weird directions and like, anyway, and like, and like, you know, at the one point and after she left, everyone just burst into laughter yeah. and it was like so uncomfortable. But then afterwards we like said touching things about the dog totally. and it's like, you kind of need to like, 
get the tension out yeah. before you can have the like earnestness. So I mean, the earnestness thing was the other thing that made me really hesitant to want to want to do an advice podcast. I mean, I actually like you, Jessica. Like I've always liked reading um, advice stuff and and even self help books. Like there's a part in your book where you say that like, you know. You always see someone in the Barnes and Noble self-help section kind of like sheepishly hiding, like opening one of these books. And I always felt like that looking yeah. in the Barnes and Noble yeah. self-help section. Um, but I always like I, I like reading um, different kinds of self-help books because they often tell you different things. And um, I, I like just like throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and seeing what works for me. I found find that like the more just different random stuff I try that I hear about from books and columns like. I, I pick up little things that are useful here and there. But anyway, it's a very earnest genre. Um, it's what's ironic... It isn't, though, but well, go ahead. Well, I want to hear what you mean about that. But I think what's kind of ironic about me and Avi's relationship is that, like, I probably am, in some respects, like, a more earnest... Like, you have a deeper kind of ironic, yeah. cynical edge to you, but you're also the one that, like, became a therapist, <laughs> which is a pretty earnest profession. Yeah. Uh, and wanted to do this podcast and had this, you know, I mean, the deeper ambition behind it was like men in particular have a difficulty being um, honest about emotions. I don't know if you want to call that earnest or not, but like we have like, like for a man to say like, I am sad is like a crazily, crazily like just. You you I can't even say that. No, right. I'm smiling right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm so like, <laughs> that is so fucking soft. For you, yeah, for me, for me. totally. So, but it's just that, that anyway. That's this tension under you know all all this whole project. I feel like is um, uh, and 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 I feel like it can only work if we leaven it with humor. And it's often. I mean, I often just default to self self deprecating humor, <laughs> but it's a tricky thing because it's like if we get too, if we're too much like. Um, on the nose with, with emotion, like I feel like I start feeling kind of icky and weird, and I worry that like the listener will feel that way too. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah what no. were you saying? Oh, um, well, the self help thing, I just, well, I have a different reaction because it just fuels my own shame spiral because someone knows, I just tell myself that they know how to live life, and all of their advice is proof that I don't know how to live my life, and I'll never do what they are suggesting I do, and I just use it as an opportunity to beat myself up. Right. So. <laughs> and I think uh, but I think what's what what is um I mean it's funny that these columns are called advice columns because like really what I think they are is like empathy columns. Like they're really just like uh, Cheryl Strayed for example, like so much of what she would do, I mean under this pseudonym of Dear Sugar or whatever, she would she would talk about her own struggles and experiences and like I feel like for so many people what they got out of that was just not feeling alone because this other per she wasn't being like, here's what you should do. She was being like, oh, I struggled with that same thing, you know? Yeah. And, like, you see that, like, um, like so much, like, and that is, like, often what people are looking for. Like, one thing that I, like, the Dear Abby and Landers columns, like, if you look at it over time, like, they start off as columns, like, by Dear Abby and Ann Landers, but throughout, like, over the decades that they were published, they turned into just, like, letters people were writing to one another. Huh. Like, it's like, I read your letter, and, like, man, I'm going through the same thing. Wow. They didn't say man, but you know. <laughs> um, and it was just, like, it became just this space for people to sort of be, like, 
oh yeah, like we're all going through this together. I, I do want to give a shout out to my personal favorite, Lord Chesterfield, <laughs> who I think is like, was maybe a sociopath or a totally. psychopath. Yeah. yeah. Like, and his like analysis of human behavior <laughs> is so like on point. Right. And yeah. yet also kind of not surprising that his son didn't listen to him because uh, nobody really does want to be told what to do. His totally. book. Can you tell us what? Yeah. Well, his, to yeah. me, that story is like, it's just like such a, it's such like a microcosm of like father son relationship. <laughs> so basically like, so the first like really popular advice book in America was written by a British man who might name Lord Chesterfield. And he had a son out of wedlock and because of just like social norms at the time, he could never really live in the same place as his son. And so like he basically like parented by mail and he would send his son letters like all the time and especially when his son was like starting at the age of 17 he was traveling around Europe a lot and his and Lord Chesterfield would send him letters constantly just sort of about how he should sort of comport himself on his grand tour of Europe and then his son uh, died young and his widow um didn't have any money. And Lord Chesterfield didn't leave a lot of money to his family, partly because he didn't approve of the marriage. And so she had this bright idea of publishing these letters that um, Lord Chesterfield had written to his son. And this book was became really popular, both in Britain and America. And it became popular in this sort of, like in a, it was popular in like the, the way we hate read things now. Like people read it and were like, this is atrocious. Like how this is terrible advice to give to a young man. Because so much of it was incredibly calculating and incredibly shallow. It reminded me in a way, I actually only read bits because it was boring, but the game, yeah, you know, the, totally. like it feels like that. Like this is, this is how you manipulate people. Yeah, and it was like very much like... And, like what I, this is how, like, this is how I define success. And I think it's sort of like, it's a sort of, I think many people have that relationship with their parents where they, the parents sort of define success as sort of stability. Yeah. And whereas like they maybe define success in a different way. And what Lord Chesterfield really wanted for his son was stability. So he was like, I, here are the tools you need to be accepted by mainstream society. Like you were born out of wedlock. It's going to be harder for you. Like you got to wear the right thing. You got to always wash your nose. Like literally, <laughs> I think you said that. And like, just like, I want you to be accepted by the mainstream society. And, um, and like, this is how to calculate that. And I, there was something about that, that I really related to that. Like, I think that like parents tend to want that for their kids and what that can turn into is like really shallow, yeah. really calculating advice. Well, it's funny. I mean, one of the, um, jokes that I, I had with Avi when we were thinking about starting this podcast was that like, there aren't really advice podcasts for men. Although a lot of the dude podcasts are kind of advice podcasts. Yeah. If you think about it, but the only advice they give is how to get ripped, <laughs> how to how to you know get bigger muscles, and how to make money, right? And it's funny because now that I think about it, like all of the men, the advice from the men that you profiled in the book are mostly about like making money. Like Ben Franklin, totally. yeah. all about like work hard right, so you can Carnegie. make make that yeah. cheddar. You know what I mean? And and um and the women, you know, give advice about like, you know, deeper sort of emotional questions. And um and I don't know, it's just. It, I'm curious, like, That's true, yeah. <laughs> do you think, um, like, why do you think, another animating purpose of wanting to start this podcast is we noticed that, like, most of the people who write to um, uh, 
you know, these these advice columns written by women are seem to be women. Um, the question askers. The question askers. Does yeah. it seem? Doesn't it seem like that, or or is it getting a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I would gender s- parity there. Yeah, I would say like the. It seems like like more and more men are writing in, um, but I think it is majority women still, and I think a lot of that just has to do with like like the cultures that form around these advice columns tend to be like one gender or another. Like Neil Strauss, like I'm sure if he has a podcast, like it's like a male culture that's like circulated around that guy. But it's not true. Like all the, it's, it's true that like the advice by the men in the book is really like clear and strategic. It's like, like Lord Chesterfield was like, this is how you like get a French woman to sleep with you. (laughs) You, this is how you get a woman to like marry you. You should have a mistress and a wife to be happy, you know? And it's like, obviously, like, people wouldn't say that specifically today yeah. on these podcasts, but it's kind of similar, which is like, get ripped, get a woman, <laughs> like, get some money, and then you'll be happy. Well, that's like the cliche in, like, every <laughs> cup, like straight couple that I see where, like, the wife's critique is that the husband just wants to solve every problem. Like, yeah. so what do I do? Or this is what I think you should do. And she's like, but you're not listening to me. Yeah, yeah and I think that's, yeah, that's really interesting. The one... Like you, you see that, like one, like a lot of the advice column with female advice columnists like resisted clear answers yeah. in ways that I think is sort of satisfying. You know, like it's not like they're just like listening and offering some feedback as opposed to offering clear answers. That's funny that we do kind of try to give something clear. Not to make this a meta conversation, but I'm, <laughs> I'm just thinking that. about. Well, uh, this is our meta. Podcast. Yeah, we're, well, this is we're getting advice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the one of the things that I've noticed on a meta level is there'll be like a question um, that is about kind of a thorny issue. Either it's like morally thorny or just like emotionally complicated, and um, and often like my first instinct will be like what's the like morally and socially laziest thing that he can do to get out of the situation? <laughs> the coward solution. Yeah, what's the cowardly solution just to like avoid it? Because let's be honest, 99% of the time we go through, li- I always tell my fiction, I teach fiction writing as well. I always tell my fiction students this, like in 99% of our interactions in life, we avoid conflict and fiction is about like the 1% that we actually engage in conflict. Yeah. And, um, and so like, you know, most of the time, like, I go to the, like, what would I actually do in this awkward situation? Well, I would just, like, try to ease my way out of it. Then we, then, like, often prodded by Avi, we will be like, all right, but what's the, like, actually courageous and, like, emotionally dignified, uh, you know, mature thing to do? Uh, And then we'll, like, suggest, well, here's what you should really do. You should directly confront this bully (laughs) and tell him how you feel and how he hurt your feelings or whatever. And then we finally double back and we're like, all right, what's what's something realistic? <laughs> yeah. Because if we're always like, you should stand up for justice and truth and like, you know, you know, against misogyny and like give a clear lecture to every time you see an instance of somebody bullying someone, you know, that would totally turn off um, anybody who might be listening and like hoping to actually like, you know, get some advice. So, yeah, uh, I was just distracted by the thought. Do you think so? Like to me, Lord Chesterfield definitely a psychopath (laughs) and then i was like well so then is dale carnegie like just a benevolent psychopath like because he's also like a very astute read on like 
this is what will make people like you, and that's this really is, what you need. This you is can, the seven habits of highly effective this people. Is, yeah, is that this is book, how to win friends. Yes, and how to yeah, win yeah, yeah. friends and influence. Yeah, there's yeah. like there's a sh- it, there's it's like yeah, you, like you read his rules, and you're like, oh, that would make me crazy. <laughs> you know, it's like always smile, yeah. like always like say everything with like gratitude, like never express any criticism is one of the the things. I was like, if I lived my life that way, I would literally lose my brain. Like, <laughs> and like, like I would just like wither and die. Like, and, or like, but then at the same time, like. You call them like as predictable as a golden retriever. Yeah. Like, really <laughs> that was a great thing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's like, you, it would, it would be a really hard way to live your life. But at the same time, like, this was written during the Great Depression when, like, the goal was just, like, hold on to your job and hold on to it tight. And I think when you're, like, working in media, sometimes you can sort of see, like, people seeing an industry dying all around them and sort of, like, you could see people acting more cheerful than maybe they would really, they really feel. And I think there's, like, that, you know, Carnegie desperation. So is, is it, is someone a psychopath if they're, like, if it's based on desperate, if it's like calculated and based on desperation, it's a good question. You know? well, by <laughs> the way, I just want to defend <laughs> Mr. Carnegie for a second because I have to say, like, I remember when I read that um, that part of your book where he encourages people to smile all the time, and like, um, I rolled my eyes at that. But um, like, shortly after that, I went on a, um, a meditation retreat, a silent meditation retreat for several days. And I had heard that Thich Nhat Hanh was a famous like meditation master um, uh, in the Zen, Vietnamese Zen tradition. Like he actually does encourage his followers to smile all the time. Right. And I just, I was, I was utterly bored out of my mind because it was a silent retreat with nothing to do. I couldn't even read a book or write anything. And I just started experimenting with like, all right, I'm going to see if I can like smile for an hour straight and it was it was actually one of the most interesting experiences what I've ever had. What was it like? Because what happened was, any time I had um, part of the, without getting into the weeds of meditation, part of what you're practicing is like noticing a thought as it's happening and be like, all right, I just noticed that thought. Now I'm not going to be attached to it. And so for some reason, when I was smiling, it was as though I had this like filter of benevolence and humor through which I saw all of my thoughts. So like when I would beat up on myself and be like, oh, you're such a bad meditator. Oh, you're so lazy, whatever. I would just smile and be like, there you go again, pal. You're doing your thing. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. And and, you know, seeing like I remember like I saw like a squirrel like trying to get a nut or something and just thinking like, oh, the squirrel is trying so hard to get this nut. And there's just this inherent humor and just like just there's like this. I don't know. There's just this sweetness to the universe and like everything seems kind of funny and light to me when I'm smiling. So anyway, like it, it's funny, but I'm, I'm just getting into that because another piece of advice that felt like wildly unrealistic to me was the marriage gurus who say you're not allowed to ever criticize your partner. <laughs> and I'm like, and, and, and it's funny though, because like, um, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about this on the show before, like um, me and my wife have two young kids and, you know, that's like the lighter... F- fluid for arguing in in a in a marriage right um and um but like when we've really tried to proactively like get along better like i've thought about that advice of like like really like doing your absolute best to not criticize the other person and just their methodology is basically to say like 
what I'm hearing you say is like anytime they piss yeah. you off, instead of like snapping back, you're like, what I'm hearing you say is that the way that I didn't fold the laundry was hurtful and neglectful. And um, I hear that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because it's like I'm, I'm reading that. I'm like, how could anybody do this? It require it would require superhuman strength. And yet it is the kind of thing like if you actually tried to do it. Yeah, it works. It kind of works. Right. Like uh, when I was reporting that piece, I was um, I remember at the, around the time I was taking my dog to the dog park and like dog parks are like the dogs sometimes get into arguments and then the humans responsible for the dog get into even bigger arguments about like whose dog is doing what. <laughs> and I remember like my dog stole another dog's tennis ball and like someone was like really upset with me. And I was like, and I think I said, like, what I'm hearing you say is that you're upset that my dog's <laughs> And it suddenly, like, she just, like, calmed down. And, yeah. like, suddenly we were, like, having a conversation about, like, the tennis ball and not anything else that was going on in our brains and lives. And it did sort of slow us down and was helpful. And I will say that that Dale, in terms of Dale Carnegie By the way, being, can you just tell us what that marriage guru couple is called? Oh, yeah. Interested Harville in Hendricks and Helen Hunt. And, um, yeah, they they believe that you should ne and they are another example of a couple who says that like these are the tools that saved their own relationship and talk very honestly about like how their marriage was like headed towards ruin and they came up with these tactics to like keep them together. And they had both been married several times before. Yeah. And they, so their whole thing is that like marriage is kind of like you know, you, it's like the odds are not it's like casino odds like you're <laughs> you're probably going to fail at marriage so like if you if you want to succeed at this thing that you're likely to fail at follow our <laughs> you know tips totally right? and like yeah. they're and it's yeah and like one thing i will say about harville hendrix and dale carnegie is like i i felt in with the, like reporting on both those both those people like the like needing to smile all the time and being cheerful and never expressing criticism. Like I had the same reaction as you, Avi, which is like, are these people psychopathic? <laughs> like this is crazy. But then like the other thing that kind of hit me was like, I think I've had this like inherent belief that like criticism and negativity are more interesting than like positivity and like, um, like encouragement and like how, like, and whether like that was sort of fueling my like discomfort with what they were saying. Like if you took away all the criticism and only were smiling at everyone right. at work, like happening. what would you be talking about? Yeah, like, totally. like if, like if I did listen to Dale Carnegie and never complained, like what would I say? And that was sort of <laughs> terrifying. And so like, I, so maybe he's a psychopath, but also maybe he's like, really onto well, something also like psychopaths <laughs> i think so, are smart uh, yeah like they're very astute <laughs> yeah. so they're yeah um well but but it's we actually um uh i don't know when this episode will air but we had a um uh, a meditation teacher on um uh last week and we we were talking about a similar thing and he suggested that maybe like when people are sort of drawn towards conflict rather than peace like maybe what they're really worried about is that with peace they'll have boredom, and I th to me that totally resonates. Like, um, because the, the big thing I struggled with on a silent meditation retreat was boredom. I mean, I had I had total peace. I didn't need any like no one was fucking with me because no one could talk. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like, but boredom is like it's a it's a real thing to contend with. Like, and um, and I think like like and I like when I really slow down and stop and think about it, like when I'm in the midst of a fight 
with my wife or with with a family member or a friend, like I sometimes have to like think like, am I fighting just because it's more entertaining? Totally. <laughs> than not fighting and just getting along. You know? I don't. But that feels a little. I hear what you're saying. I ne- I don't like. I don't know. I don't have. I'm sort of very earnest in a way about people's motivations and like. I don't think we want it to be bad, but I, I do think there's maybe a fear. I think about it more like that a lot of us have a fear of like, if I really was like my best self in like a new agey kind of way and was like, if I let go of that, the stuff that I'm holding on to that makes me so unhappy. And, and I just like that, that's kind of scary to let go of that stuff. And cause who would you be? Yeah, like I love my <laughs> problems. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also sort of, I think sort of easier to sort of, define yourself in opposition yeah. to something yeah. than it is to like state that's, what you're about. That's a much better way of like, saying it. Yeah. It's like much easier to be like, Oh, I, I don't like X rather than I like this. It's, it's like more much, vulnerable. It's much more, vulnerable, yeah. much more difficult to yeah. say. Like it's the, um, the New York times has a uh, book review has this, uh, section in, in the beginning of the book review. That's like an interview, uh, with authors and they always ask the same questions. And one of the questions is like, what genre of literature of books, like what section of the bookstore do you hate? And they always say self-help, right? <laughs> and and it's funny. I mean, it, it it it's the most hateable genre. It's the easiest to make fun of. Um, there was even, I mean, you know, there's there's this book that actually happens to be like maybe one of my top five favorite books called Miss Lonely Hearts, which which you so, mentioned. Um, yeah. And it's written by uh, this. Uh, this Jewish American novelist, Nathaniel West. Um, and it's about a like totally fucked up, like alcoholic chain smoking. Is he alcoholic? Like yeah. it's a man who's like got a million issues, but he poses a, as a woman columnist named Miss Lonely Hearts who gives, who gives advice. And I think it just seems like there's such a fear of probably based on the kind of stuff we've been talking about, this fear of like, who would I be if I let go of my unhappiness or whatever? And there's such a culture and, you know, I don't exclude myself from this at all. Like I, I cling to, you know, my bitterness and animosities a lot and find, I don't know, just find a lot of uh, entertainment in it, I think. And, um, and I think that, that because of that, like there's so much skepticism of advice givers that like, just the assumption is they must all be phonies, right? Um, like they must all actually be full of, full of shit, right? And yeah. uh, and Miss Lonely Hearts is kind of like the apotheosis of that <laughs> idea, right? Yeah, and there's like a lot. I mean, one of the things that interested me about it was like we all of the narratives we have about advice givers, like Miss Lonely Hearts. There's like a Dolly Parton movie that's pretty great where she pretends to be like a PhD radio host uh-huh. when actually she just like kind of lucked into the job. Um, but yeah, are about like hypocrites and people pretending like they know stuff and their own life is a mess. And it's like, and it, and not like if having looked at a lot of the most famous advice givers throughout history, like a lot of them are hypocrites. Like a lot of them did have messy lives while they were giving advice. But at the same time, like, I think what I came to realize while like reporting on them is like, I sort of went into it with maybe a little bit more, um, skepticism towards advice givers than I left with because I like even if they are hypocrites like they were sort of doing a job that a lot of people are too fearful to do and that clearly a lot of Americans really crave like as many people at the book review say they hate self-help like 
that is the most popular like part of Barnes and Noble, even if people say they hate it. Right. And so there was like all these, I sort of saw advice givers as people who were sort of like graciously willing to play the fool a lot of the time to other people's benefit. And it sort of made sense to me like that a lot of women became advice columnists because it is like not the most respectful place to publish in a newspaper. But if you were a woman, especially in the early 20th century, that was like the only place you got. And so at least you got to write and you were sort of doing something that people loved, even if at like a headier level, people didn't totally respect it. Um, I love that. Graciously willing to play the fool. I think yeah. we have our title. <laughs> um, yeah. But let's yeah, get to we the, should, speaking uh, of advice. Let's, let's, dive let's in. be hypocritical here yeah. or not, because I think we're all pretty open about being <laughs> flawed. <laughs> have you gotten the chance to be an advice giver or are you just? <laughs> well, when I was doing publicity for my tour, that was like. Yeah, like people kind of wanted me to give like you advice. You know all of yeah. the advice. Like you know all the advice. Yeah. Give me the best advice. Yeah. And I was like, oh god, no. Um, so, it, it, like that was not the role I was looking to take in the book. Yeah. Like I was much more interested in it was like as the stories and the people. Yeah. But yeah, I, I did a little bit of it with the with the um, with publicity, and I just sort of yeah, it, I found it really difficult. <laughs> hey, man. The other day, I went to my friend's office to meet up to go out for drinks at the end of the day. He ran off to the bathroom, and while I was waiting, I noticed that he was logged into Reddit and was on a really misogynistic subreddit. Mm -hmm. I know my friend's username on Reddit since we share funny memes with each other, and he was logged in under a different name that I didn't recognize. Later that night, I looked up that username and was horrified by what I found. He comments on incredibly toxic subreddits and goes on to other communities to troll and harass users. I never would have guessed that this was my friend. I tried to talk to him about it, but he denied knowing what I was talking about. And later that day, the account was deleted, although I still have screenshots. I don't know what to do. I don't think anyone else knows about this, not the rest of our friends and definitely not his girlfriend. Should I out my friend? Should I help him? And how? Signed, grossed out in Greenpoint. So first of all, I am, once again, I'm going to jump actually straight to the <laughs> advice. Uh, the coward's way. <laughs> I'm going to give advice to this fucking idiot for not closing his computer and having a password protected thing. Totally. Yeah, if uh, you're going to be a creep, you exactly. really need better security. Yeah. When uh, when I worked um, on the Obama campaign, and this was 2008, so this was like, you know, light years ago, um, we we had this game that we played where if you didn't close your computer or put it on the screensaver mode and have it password protected... Like, if you got up to go to the bathroom and your computer, your screen was on and logged in, um, someone would go into your email, write to a famous reporter, uh, and be like, write something really embarrassing to a famous reporter, and then BCC the entire staff. <laughs> and like, oh my God, like, that's amazing. You're like, to like some Chicago Sun-Times person, be like, I've got a really awesome scoop for you about such and such. Uh, did, that you know, ever, did that ever happen to um, you? The only I, it happened to me once. They didn't, it wasn't that bad. They I was I was the blogger on the campaign, and back then blogging was like still I guess considered like dorky internet thing. So like th they made some they emailed someone with a joke about me being in my pajamas in my mother's basement, being a blogger. Or something. <laughs> so I didn't get the worst of it. But anyway, dude, next time you want to uh, you know do your trolling, make sure that you do it uh, a little bit more. But anyway, this that's reminds <laughs> me also of. Um, do you follow basketball at all? Or a little bit, yeah. Like a few years ago when Kevin Durant um, was like accidentally replying from his, what was he doing? Replying from his alt, like from his, he had fake Twitter usernames 
and was like hyping up Kevin Durant and shitting <laughs> on his ex-teammates. And then like he once did it from Kevin Durant and people were like, wait a second. Like <laughs> this is like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, in all earnestness, yeah. um, you know, there, there was a, uh, I thought a pretty powerful episode of This American Life a few years ago. I think it was with that woman, Lindy West, who wrote that best-selling book, Shrill. I think it was her, um, where she confronted one of her trolls. Was that? Did you do you remember yeah, that episode? I remember that. Yeah. And what was so amazing about it is that so so Lindy West, for people who don't know, I mean, now there's a TV show based on her book, but she's she's you know openly writes about being, you know, a bigger woman, whatever. So a lot of trolls would like, you know, just be like, you're fat, fuck you, da da da. And um and and she just wrote to one of like her big piler on trolls and was like, uh, can I can I like talk to you and just like interview you? And surprisingly he agreed. And it was this powerful thing because like turned out that he was like way more of a normal guy than you would think mm. and like when she confronted him he was kind of just like um yeah i don't know why i did this to you like it makes me so sad that i did this to you like i don't know what the hell i was doing like it was like this like anyway it was, it was, it was really interesting and and um it just made me think like who knows how many like hopefully we don't know people in our lives who we like and trust who secretly are doing fucked up shit on reddit yeah. and, and and youtube comments or whatever but like they're out there like like these aren't just, you know, people who fly monsters, Confederate yeah. flags from their trucks. Like yeah. these yeah. are like guys who live in Green, you know, mm -hmm. in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, too. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's just such a strange thing to reckon. with. Yeah, I would. Totally. I mean, I feel like it would be helpful if we have any advice for this person to empathize with his friend. I don't know. That's my instinct all the time. But yeah. to with, try, with I try trolls. to. Yeah, I try to walk in that person's shoes and make sense of like. Why would someone be doing this? And there is, it's tempting to sort of be like, they must have a lot of rage or like, this must be who they really are. They're showing their true colors. And I, I think it's more complicated than that. Have you guys ever posted anything anonymously online? Um, well, that, you know, when I read this, where I went to was like, when I was like a teenager, yeah. and like, like, I loved that. It was like the early days totally. of being online. Totally. And I loved the fact that no one, knew who I was and like would go on with my friends and we would be like women, boys, like any much older than we were. Like, uh, that was really fun. Yes. I spent a lot of like when I was really, like really young and I got like AOL at my yeah. house. Like I, my friends and I would go into chat rooms and just say weird things to people. Yeah, totally. And like, and then it would get to a point where someone would say something like like very sexually explicit and yeah. we'd be like all right yeah. goodbye yeah but like we got it to that point and yeah. then like left yeah. and like um but i but i that was like a major activity for me in middle school yeah. like with friends i like it was fascinating and weird and illicit and totally. like and before and that crank calls right like oh just, yeah and now yeah. that i think back on it like crank calls are so fucked up like usually we would call like a 1-800 number some poor person like making minimum wage <laughs> And say horrible things to that person, and you know, or or like scare, you know, like like I remember, like me and my friends called, like like there used to be like a one eight hundred number on the side of like a Pepsi can or whatever. It was like call us if you have any like concerns about like this product or whatever. And like I remember once we called and we we're like, um, I just drank this Pepsi and 
it's You're poisonous like to be the jerky and I'm dying boys. right yeah. now. Yeah. And, yeah. and the person was like, oh my God, are you okay? Like, please call the ambulance <laughs> right away. And we're like, ah, but, but, but it, totally the AOL thing. Like, I mean, countless hours spent just harassing other dudes, like picking fights with other people with yeah. our, of course, like back then, like, you know, before Facebook and like using your real picture and name like everyone had funny nicknames i think mine was like awesome five three eight or something <laughs> like that i actually yeah. created a troll nickname my name on aol was sick genius <laughs> <laughs> and it was created just to fuck with people and and like i love that that identity by the way like just just while we're on this aol uh you know back to the future tip uh like i remember this this probably was like a ubiquitous thing that happened to young, uh, you know, pubescent boys. You go on to a chat room, start talking to somebody, uh, and then like you know you could you could get off the chat room and just have a solo chat. Right. And then like you know you you could have like a sexy chat where yeah. they're like, all right, I'm taking off my clothes now. Yeah. Are you taking off your clothes? And they're like, take off your pants or whatever. Yeah. And I remember, and like. This person was like, you know, got me to do, you know, go the whole, I don't think I actually took off my pants, but I was playing along, right? Typing, oh yeah, I'm take, totally taking off my pants. And then the person's like, I'm a guy, you're gay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it definitely happened to like millions of boys yeah, in like yeah, yeah, 1996. Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, so, so yes, but it's a good point that you bring up that like, like, this is a, a very human impulse. Yeah, I mean, yeah. luckily we seem to have all stopped doing this at like 15 or 14 maybe, but like this guy, I don't know how old he is, but he's still right. he's still engaging in this. And 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 part of what I wonder is like for all we know his he could be somebody who supports, you know, um Kamala Harris or Elizabeth Warren is like got right, all like the it's right not values. About politics for for him. Right. Maybe. Like there's this I don't know. there there might just be this like weird drive like that comes where he like feels the need to express these like really odious things and i wonder you know i just wonder what that's about i mean and I, again he could also just be have odious views in his in his real life too but he seems to be hiding them pretty well if his friend was shocked by the fact that he has the, them online yeah well, what the, one <coughs> thing i found interesting about the the question was like it never mentions not wanting to be friends with this guy mm. and it like it's just like does he need help and like how best to make him stop this and so it, it makes me think that this is a person who's like living his life in a way that's like in a pretty extreme like gulf between how yeah. he's behaving online. he seems yeah. to be presenting as pretty normal right like there aren't like it's not like he is right, this friend. is more about like secrets in a yeah, way exactly. than about yeah. uh being an odious person right he's not like the friend who is your gun nut friend who like is ranting and raving about and you're like, like the rothschilds or whatever but he's you know. yeah you're like oh <laughs> wow this is more serious than i thought right. kind of feeling it's like oh wow you're i don't know who you are feeling yeah which is different yeah 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 it's so uh, yeah it's a it, it's a creep so now I want to empathize with the questioner because it yeah. is really creepy to like, especially like, I don't know how close this friend is, but like, um, like I just imagine like, just like that skin crawly feeling of like, Oh my God, this person that like I've trusted and told about all this it's stuff like, is yeah. like, has, well, it's like learning something, learning something really private about someone. We all have dark parts of ourselves, but we keep them to ourselves, you know, and right. to find out about it and then not, 
And yeah, also, like, having good. dark thought, like, like I, I, you know, I mean, this is not like a, uh, a revolutionary thought, but I don't believe in thought crimes. I think everyone's allowed to have dark thoughts, yeah. fucked up thoughts. But, like, this isn't just a thought. Absolutely. This is actually an action where he's hurting other people yeah. and, you know, potentially really hurting other people online mm-hmm. and bullying and, like, like, he's taking odious actions. And, um, you know, but, but again, like, I don't, I, you know, I don't know any, I hope I don't know any trolls and I've never talked to one um, if, if, if uh, you know, about this stuff. But, like, I do wonder, like, what is going through this guy's head when he's doing this like is does he even realize like is there some kind of disconnect because it's online and because i'm using this mask like it's all some big joke or or do you think he's actually getting off on like really hurting other people because like, he's obviously not doing this in real life to people i i never i don't think i i'm trying to think if i've ever i'm sure i have at some point but i don't generally find trolling to be like i i don't enjoy I don't know. I'm very conflict averse. <laughs> so I don't yeah. enjoy I don't enjoy that uh as an activity, but I would imagine like feeling like you know how to like piss someone off and you're sort of detached and you're fucking with someone. I could see how that would feel good, you know? Yeah. Um Well, I mean, look, if my two and a half year old year old son like often does things just just to like get a negative reaction. Like yeah. the other day he's like, I don't like you, daddy. Right. Obviously he's doing that just, <laughs> just to see yeah. like, cause it's exciting to see me get hurt. For a you second. know, that reminds me of, I had this, um, this like, like a famous old therapist at one of the institutes that I trained at said, uh, in your family, it's better to be wanted for murder than not be wanted at all. And I, <laughs> I feel like that's, uh, that's uh, there's truth yeah, to that. Like, that's true. Like to get attention and to like feed off of someone's negative attention still feels good in a way. Yeah, I mean, I've tried to think about like a wh- why I decided that like the weird anonymous posturing on AOL chat rooms like felt wrong. Like mm. at what point did that feel like I was being mean to people? Like because I stopped at a certain age because yeah. it was like no longer okay. But in the time when I was doing it, it just felt like this consequence-free space to like be a different person than I am in real life and like that a weird outlet for all the like the negative things that I think can feel really good and addictive. And I just, I wonder, so like the question for me about his, this guy's friend is like, does he, does he like not realize that like this is not a consequence free space right. or does he think it is a consequence? It, it, it does have consequences and like likes what he's doing to people. Right. I mean, either way, like, it's, this seems like, uh, like, sometimes we get questions and the answer can be something like, just go work out and, like, uh, (laughs) start jogging, you know, uh, wake up, set your alarm clock a little bit earlier. With something like this, like, it just immediately strikes me, like, this guy clearly needs to, like, talk to a professional. (laughs) He needs help. And I, I I mean, maybe that, uh, like, I'm curious, like, as a larger question, like, have you guys ever had, maybe this is too personal. If it is just mm-hmm. skip this question. But if you, if you guys ever had a friend that you clearly felt like needed to go to a psychologist and if so, 
how do you tell somebody like to go? Cause, cause that's another kind of funny thing. It's like, like along with like, Oh, like I have to hate the self-help genre cause it's embarrassing. Like it's considered for a lot of people embarrassing to go to a psychologist. Right. And so like, it seems like inappropriate to suggest that somebody go to a psychologist to a lot of people. I think, I mean, to me, the more I certainly have had that experience, but there's, it more often is like a friend who's really upset a lot and is leaning on you a lot for help. And then you're doing the delicate dance of like, how do you kindly tell someone like, I'd like to listen to this a little bit less or like yeah. you're asking a lot from me and I think you should get real help. That's different. Like this, this friend is hard to empathize with and that's a little different. I yeah. Think. And he doesn't want to talk to his friend about it. Like the, the most analogous experience I feel like I have to the guy who's writing the, we've been talking about, yeah, we should get the, to the, to the <laughs> actual question. Cause he has different. Questions. Have you ever, I feel like, I've had a lot of the most like, yeah, analogous experience I feel like I've had is when I've had close male friends who I who I find found out are like bad partners. Yeah, like and like learning that about like a friend, how. like cheating on a friend, mm -hmm. or just like learning that they're not, and like, like more that. extreme than that. Like I've yeah. definitely heard of close male friends who were like accused in Me Too yeah. moments yeah. of like doing something really terrible. Yeah, and. So what do you do when you like morally object to yeah, something someone's question. doing, yeah. but like in your experience with them, like it's only been like a pretty good friendship. And I think that's what's really interesting about the letter because he's not like, um, I can't be friends with this guy anymore. He's like, what do I do to make him stop this? Like, yeah. what do I do to intervene and like right. make this person the person I know again? Yeah. And like, I feel like in those experiences when friends of mine... Like I've had a couple experiences with male friends when I'm like I wouldn't I feel like I've heard about actions of theirs with women that make me really uncomfortable, and I think the only way for uh, I've been able to deal with it is be like I've heard this is happening, I'm really uncomfortable with it, and I don't know if we're gonna talk about it directly, but it like it really affects the way I think about you and our friendship, and that like I sort of like. I don't really know what to do with that, but that's where I'm at. And I've had that conversation with a male friend. How How is it received? You know, I think that that was like, it was a long time ago mm -hmm. and it was in college and it was a friend who, um, was like, was a cute, like a, who's like slept with a friend of mine. And afterwards she said it was like not complete it was like in a gray area of consensualness. That's not a word, but, um, yeah, that, that it was not a thousand percent consensual. And then for a while, like I, like, it's hard to say this, but like, I didn't want to take a stake in it. Like it was I just totally, like, yeah. I was just like, this is my friend. And like, I don't know what happened that night and I don't feel like I should be responsible for it. But then another friend had a similar experience wow. with this guy and, it sort of became a thing where I like it was the elephant in the room with me and him. And eventually I had to say something, which was like, I wasn't there. I don't know what happened, but I know that people feel this way and I like it's affecting the way I think of you. And I'm not totally sure what to do with that. Um, and I would say like that was a long time ago and we're we're, like our friendship has gone through different phases in that period. And I would say like, he's still in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think there was a period of time when he, when I, when I had to take a step back and say that and just sort of confront that there was this 
piece of him that I wasn't certain about and didn't really know how to grapple with. And I, it sounds like this guy doesn't, is sort of in a similar situation in a really different circumstance, which is like, I don't know exactly what you're doing or why you're doing it, but the fact that it's happening is coloring our friendship. And I kind of want, I'm not totally sure what to do, do with those feelings, but that's what I'm feeling. Yeah. I mean, that's a really hard conversation to have. Um, but like, I thought his reaction was interesting because his reaction was just to like shame him into not doing it. He was like, should I tell his girlfriend? Should I tell all these people? And I think there's like a similar, that's why I sort of compared it to my situation with my friend. Cause there's like the, do I like tell friends not to date him? Do I tell right. friends, like, do I go behind his back or do I say directly, like, this is something about, um, that I know and that's making me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, well, we have, I think, um, for some reason, I, I actually don't even spend that much time on Twitter because I yeah. find the whole vibe not to my liking too much conflict again. <laughs> but, um, but like, there's a way, it's like people's gut instinct a lot is to just get someone to stop. Like, oh, we don't like you, so you need to stop what you're doing and let me yeah. shame you. That's like at least a public way that it's talked about and the way that you're talking about it with your friend seems much more like actually how humans are with each other. And you sound like a good friend. Like you told him the truth or you told him your experience. Yeah. I mean, it was, I, it was hard. Like it was hard. Cause I was also, you know, it's like, you don't, there's just no easy answers in this guy's position yeah. because he must care about this guy enough that he's like wants to save the friendship and also wants to save him. Like in this letter is like a pretty earnest desire to like, Mm-hmm. get this guy to not do something that feels like to him disingenuous with the guy he knows. I think that like the really tricky part of this question is, is whether he should out the guy to his girlfriend because um, I mean, my instinct is he shouldn't and that basically he should give the guy a chance by trying to engage him not just being like, stop doing that, but really trying to engage him in, in a conversation about why he started doing it, when he started doing it, how it made him feel, <laughs> you know? Um, and, uh, and like, see if, if like, you know, you just use his, like, uh, his, his human instincts to like try to s- suss out whether or not the guy seems to um, have really taken the conversation to heart, right? At a certain point though, like, especially if, if this guy is also friends with the girlfriend, like if he doesn't feel like the guy is really taking it in and if he feels like he can't trust the guy anymore, I actually feel like it's kind of fucked up not to say something to the girlfriend. Cause it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't seem that wildly dissimilar from knowing that like, let's say he caught his friend sending dick pics or something to another woman. Like his friend is cheating with 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 his girlfriend who may be your friend as well and and right. like what is your obligation to her too yeah. so but i think it's just this tricky balance is like i do think like the guy deserves a chance to just like stop doing it and regain the friend's trust but also like that might be a cop out and like not fair to the girlfriend at a certain point no i'm i'm not sure that i agree that it's the same as cheating although i agree that there's like that element of like there's a secret life happening feels similar, but 
Um, cheating is different because it's a direct. It's a violation of, of like the rules of their relationship, and maybe it turns out that like uh, acting like a total asshole is also a violation of the rules. But it, the, I, it seems there's more like possibility to work with it than I mean, cheating is kind of black and white. I mean, it's complex in a different way, but like it either I don't know something about that feels different to me. But you're making me think of something else, which is. You know, before I, I worked on my own, I worked at um, a clinic that was, uh, its focus was just working with uh, people who had psychosis. And my, like, subspecialty at that clinic was young adults who were having, like, their first episodes of psychosis. Wow. Um, so, like, people were not always connected to reality. Um, so that was often, like, a baseline. And there was a real split among the staff especially the, the old timers had a, a kind of like nanny state mentality about it and really felt like they needed to tell these people how to live their lives. Um, and so like the question of like, when do you hospitalize someone came up a lot and some of the psychiatrists, not to shit on them, but I, I never liked this. They would always ask like, well, how would you feel if, if you didn't call 911? Right? Like, um, and the like, guy ended up killing. Someone? Exactly. Yeah. Like, like it's sort of like this unknown, uh, question like so you don't call 911 and then they do something super crazy how are you going to feel about it so like the answer was always call 911 right. right but then like what it missed was first of all that's majorly traumatic to people to be hospitalized yeah. um, and if you're if you are it totally erodes their trust in you um, and the experience and like I said the experience of being in the hospital is frightening to people um, by the way just for listeners um and I don't know if you saw this, but David Letterman has this uh, Netflix talk show and he had Kanye West on and he mm. talked about the experience of being forcibly hospitalized and oh. it, w- it sounded unbelievably traumatic. I have clients... And it sounded yeah. like it really was not helpful. Like yeah, it, it it's made not. it much worse. It's not. Yeah. And actually, in uh, like in Europe and stuff, they don't do it that way. There are other models of how you can be with people. Um, but so... So it, it's like if you make a really extreme choice like that, like outing someone, um, there are going to be major, major repercussions that you don't have. You just don't have to make that choice always. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes people make it for you. Um, and I was thinking about this, like, let's say this is like early signs of someone's mental illness, for example. Totally. It totally yeah. could be. Yeah. Um, are you going to regret not outing them? And I kind of think, no, like, why don't you wait and see what else happens, right? There are other choice points. It, it's, it was always scary. I, so I was the opposite of those psychiatrists, and I tended to, I felt protective of the people I worked with and wanted to give them as, as many chances um, as possible to not go to the hospital. And I had some extreme cases. I, someone once had already attempted suicide, so I, I couldn't, it's like I wasn't preventing anything, um, and we just sort of, like, waited uh, to see how she was doing, um, which was super scary. You're, that's asking a lot of trust for someone yeah. to hang in there. But um, but it spared her a really painful experience, and she trusted me more so she could tell me more things next time. And so our relationship was better for it. Um, and she ended up, like, uh, things really turned around in a way that I think if she had had that trauma, right? If you, like, and I'm thinking about this person, you do things that lead him to be isolated and excluded. Like, right. Cause his there's no way he's not going to do more fucked up shit after yeah. that. Yeah. His girlfriend very likely 
could dump him if if uh you know presented with like verbatim stuff that he said on the internet in his darkest uh right. hour it's indefensible um but but i guess and and what you're saying is powerful to me avi and um i mean it it makes total sense to me but just to play like devil's advocate i mean i'm just thinking about we again we don't know exactly what he said yeah but i'm imagining like the worst possible stuff mm-hmm. like what if he's the kind of guy that sent you know that photoshops pictures of of jews and like puts their faces on like auschwitz uh inmates or whatever which yeah. is what trolls like to do or yeah. or says you know makes rape threats to women or or whatever uh i guess i'm just trying to admit like we're there we are two white dudes in the room there's there's a woman in the room with us um but i'm just trying to be conscious of like if like if he's victimizing people of color or lgbt folks or or women or whatever um like i don't know it, it, it is there like just an argument to be made like doesn't like his feelings are less important than the feelings of all the people that he's hurting I'm and, trying to and look. He up. needs to be stopped. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's this guy. Um, I'm trying to look up his name, but I, I won't find it here. I can put it in the show notes. But like, there's that guy who's like, was like the nephew or some of like a super white supremacist family. And oh yeah, Derek. Uh, yeah. What's yeah. his name? Yeah. Um, right. And like, I don't know. I mean, like that's like, that's like full on living that life, not even like a secret identity, and. Um, but people reaching out to him and engaging with him was like the first step to him. Right. He, he went to college and he met, he met a uh, Jewish guy who invited him over and, and then he met a Muslim guy. <laughs> it's almost as perfectly. I'm sure it's going to be a Hollywood movie. <laughs> yeah, that's, I remember reading that story. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think like what you were saying about your client, like I think like someone trusting you to make the good, the right decisions is like a really good feeling. I'm sure like your client felt really good in that moment. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, feeling like someone sees the like, best in you. And sees like you're better than your wor- like than what you're doing. You right made a bad now. decision, but like, you also made a good decision cuz you called me. Yeah. Or, like I think like that. Yeah, I mean I think what's what's kind of confusing for this guy that yeah. wrote you the letter is like there's his friend and then there's like the world of the internet that like and the people he may be really hurting online Mm -hmm. and like, where do your allegiances go? I think that's why I really did it to like my friend who I like was uncomfortable. Um, my friend who was uncomfortable, my friend who put me in that sort of uncomfortable situation. And I, I, it's tricky. I mean, I think that it sounds like for this guy, I don't know you, um, but it sounds like you're really concerned about your friend. And like, I think that, if that's your instinct, like you should try to figure out what's going to get like help him before you sort of deal with like the broader consequences of his actions. And probably what's going to help him is if you say like, I'm not going to shame you and tell your girlfriend, I'm not going to tell our friends, but this is like making me really uncomfortable. And like, I want to talk about it because it's like making me feel really uncomfortable about who you might be and what are like, like if I know, know you at all. I really like your, um first step in that conversation of saying i'm not going to shame you and just yeah. like taking quickly taking that off the table cuz i feel like that would disarm his friend a lot and make his friend feel like wow 
I'm actually, I mean, I'm just stepping inside his friend's shoes, assuming that he's not completely full-blown psychopath or sociopath. I would be moved by my friend's compassion to say, I am not going to out you. Actually, what I want to do is have a conversation with you. I would be moved and feel like, wow, you're doing me a solid here. Um, you know, I was terrified that maybe you would, you know, do something like out me. And now I'm going to be more willing to um, open up and talk to you about this stuff. So I, I think that's actually a really nice yeah. suggestion. I don't have anything to, I think that's like basically nails it, but maybe. The only, no, the only thing I'm thinking about is like, um, what do you do? So you like say you're like really, you're like the best friend this guy could ask for, right? And he's still just sort of like saying, "Oh, that I don't want to talk about it," or or just yeah. saying that Denying wasn't my it. username. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he's continuing, that's a good point. But so, that, I don't know how you stay friends with that. Person. Yeah, I think that's like, sort that's of like like I don't know. It's like also like a like I, that was what was so like interesting to me about the letter because it was not like should I be friends with this guy? Right. Yeah. It's like how do I help him stop? Yeah. yeah. Like it was it, there was a lot of like quiet tenderness in the uh -huh. way you approached mm -hmm. that. Like it wasn't like, and I, I would say like if. I don't know if he's like unwilling to talk about it. Then I would sort of step away from yeah. the friendship. Then well, he's making a choice about yeah. what kind of friendship you're but having. But not really. to okay, not to belabor this for too much longer. Yeah. But um, that just brings up another hypothetical to me, though. Like, is it like if his friend is just like that wasn't my username? I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, leave me alone, and continues to just be in deep denial or avoidance mode. Um, I agree that like that's not the kind of person I would want to be friends with. But what about the girlfriend? Can he just walk away and like wash his hands of this whole thing and leave this guy to mm. be like a possible psychopath with his girlfriend? Does he have responsibility to say something at that point, or is it just not really his problem? And like, you know, like the, may the the cards will fall where they may. But it just reminds me of your dilemma, Avi, because like that voice in the back of my head would be like, well, like. God forbid, like, what if he turns out to be, you know, not yeah. just violent in words, but violent in action? And yeah. what if he hurts his girlfriend or whatever, you know? So, I don't know. It's tricky. Yeah, I, I'd sort of, my instinct without thinking about it is, like, at that point, I think you're free to, like, let people know, like, I'm not going to, this is what happened. And um, he denies it. I know what I saw. I'm making a choice for myself. Yeah, I think... Yeah, this is a tough situation. Yeah. This I, is a maybe tough we can one, guys. underline like morally <laughs> ambiguous yeah. or like, morally like But I would say if you're choosing to excise yourself from the situation because of what you know, then I think you would have a moral responsibility to tell other people acquainted with him what you know mm. so they can make the mm. a similar choice. Like if if he's saying like Based on everything I know, I want to keep this friendship. Right. Like, then I don't think you have as much of an obligation to the girlfriend to be like, yeah, right. Consider this. But if you're like, you know what? No, I don't think this guy is someone I can be friends with at that point. Then yes, I mm -hmm. think you very much have an obligation to like, to, to give someone the information they need. Yeah, it's th these kind of questions are really hard for me because I feel like all of us know people who have exhibited like some problematic behavior and yeah. um and like in theory you know who knows like maybe they could end up doing something really fucked up um and then you would like regret that you hadn't done some like deeper intervention earlier but on the other hand like you're not the policeman of everyone <laughs> of everyone <laughs> in the yeah. universe like yeah. it's not it's it's not always your moral responsibility to like 
pre-intervene before something you know potentially happens. So I don't know. These these are tricky yeah. things. But let's let's um yeah. let let's get to a more cheerful uh, uh, <laughs> conclusion. We kind here. of depressed uh, ourselves. We we like to we like to um. To, uh, yeah, for our next advice question, it's got to be like, how do I lose weight? <laughs> uh, Something so, like, how do I make money, lose yeah, weight, yeah, yeah. get a girl? Yeah. What's the quickest way to make money? Yeah. Um, so actually, that would be a very depressing answer. Yeah, because neither uh, of us know. Uh, so so uh, um, we, we wrap up every episode by asking our guests for um, a piece of advice that they've read or received from a, another person that has really stuck with them. You've read a lot of advice over the years, advice. so it's probably hard for you to pick just one. I if you know. have two, that's okay. But This was the hardest question. I was saying this to you, that like when I, this was like the, a question I got a lot on my book tour, and it was so hard for me, because I felt like the stakes are really high, because <laughs> yeah. I'd read so much advice, so I've had to curate for the best piece of advice <laughs> ever. Um, it's an apple a day. It keeps the doctor yeah, away exactly, by Ben Franklin. Totally. <laughs> but... Um, I know. It's like, don't eat yellow snow, guys. Like, <laughs> that's really the best advice you can do. Um, but, you know, like, I, the advice, I mean, like, the, the two pieces of advice that came to me, that come to me when I, when I, when I think about this question, the, one, the first is um, one of the women in my book um, is Dorothy Dix, who was a really popular advice columnist at the turn of the 20th century. And she got this letter once from a man, and most of her letters came from women, but this is from a man, and he had lost his son in an accident. And he was asking her if he should adopt a child, and sort of asking her, like, what he should do, and that he sort of wanted to adopt a child. And she said, like, that's a great thing to do. Like, you should do that if you want, but, like, don't think that by doing that, you're going to sort of, like, erase the trauma of losing your son. Like, don't think that, like, you can sort of bury, like, the trauma that you experience just by, like, sort of adding more layers and, and like, adding this to your life. And I think that I, per like, we're talking a lot about how earnestness is hard and, like, how it's just hard to, like, say I'm sad without laughing. And I thought there was something, I think I, I don't, I think in addition to laughing when you say I'm sad, like, another way of doing it is just, like, filling your life with stuff. Mm. And even if it's beautiful stuff and, like, humanitarian stuff, like adopting a child, it's really easy to just, you know, like, try to not feel the feelings just by, like, doing more. And I've thought a lot about that advice over, um, especially since I, I recently became a parent. Like, I've, I've thought a lot about that, like, recently. That, like, sometimes, like, like your, in, your instinct is to, like, not feel pain and just do more so that you maybe don't feel the pain. And I thought that was there was something very, very astute about that advice. To like, yes, you can adopt the child, but like, don't, don't think that's gonna change the pain that you feel. Yeah, and I like uh, that because yeah, it's like that. The sentiment is a common one, but that particular framing deepens it in a way. Like even when you think you're doing something so good, yeah, like you should also be mindful of where it's coming from and what you're trying to fix. Yeah, and I think that like I. Like, I, one of the reasons I love Sam's novel so much is, like, it's about sort of, I think, how activism can be something that you hide behind. Um, and it's something I sort of relate to in the way I grew up. And I just thought there was something very thoughtful about that. The other piece of advice that I got a while ago was from um, a woman who, a journalist who was the editor on all the original coverage on Roe v. Wade. She was like a longtime editor at the um, at a Dallas newspaper. 
and she also had four kids. And one time I was like, how on earth, like, did you do that? Like, how did you have four kids? Like, she was a really active member of her community and, like, had this crazy job and, like, also, like, be a totally lovely, sane person. And she was just like, every day I would come home from work and I would walk the long way home and then I would get to my door and take another loop around the block just for me. And then mm. I would go home. Yeah. I think there's something like kind of lovely about that piece of advice. Yeah. Just like finding the quiet ways of just like time for yourself. All right, everyone. That's it for our show this week. Uh, if you want to be on the show, if you want to submit a question, you can email us at heymanpod at gmail.com or better yet, give us a call. 917-426-4326. That's a, a mailbox where you can leave a message. We'll put it on the show. Uh, and we're on Instagram and Twitter, Hey Man Pod. And if you have a moment, subscribe to the show, obviously. And also leave us a review because that's how other people will find out about it. Or do it the old-fashioned way and tell a friend. Five stars. Only five stars. Five stars only. Thank right. you. Four is okay. No, four is not okay. No. Unacceptable. We're a five-star show. We deserve to be treated that way. You leave us a four-star show, we're, we're shutting it down. <laughs> we're shutting this down. <laughs> Peace.